Not much point in dusting when you think about it. Only just settles again everywhere five minutes later. All you're ever doing is rearranging it in actual fact. Morning, Mel, Drews of the World. Welcome to Series 5, Episode 3, Rearranging the Dust. This is one of my favourite episodes I've been looking forward to do for some time. The one that my grandparents would always have on because they had it on cassette tape. I'm uh, joined this week by the return of the lovely Nikki. Welcome back, Nikki. Thank you very much. Hi, Tom. How are you? Very good. Um, all the all the better for having you back on. Um, it feels, Thank you very I feel, much indeed. I feel, I feel like I say that a lot lately. I mean, I've had you on for uh, Pit and the Pendulum and the Comet Relief Special a few weeks ago. And of course, I've just said that to you moments ago because we were talking about this episode for about five minutes before you spotted. And Darren, when you listen, you're going to laugh. I didn't press record again. Um, I've got a bit of a knack for doing that lately. Um, I can't blame anything. I'm not tired as such. So I don't know what it is. Um, so sorry about that, Nikki. We, we'd only just really got started, didn't we? Did a little introduction. Don't worry. So rearranging the dust, one of my favourites in my top three. Where does it rate mm-hmm. for you in your overall list? Um, well, in the overall, um, if throughout the whole six series, um, series six was definitely the one that um, I probably enjoyed the most. Um, apart from well actually i still enjoyed the the last mm. episode even though it was very sad very um sad. but in this particular um uh series this was one of this was probably one of my top three uh right. it's probably at number two i um the man who blew away I, I did find uh it was it was a nice mix of um of comedy um and um you know um thriller the yeah, the the issue of of how sad it was as well. I, I found that kind of grabbed at my heartstrings a little mm. bit. So uh, I've I've always got a fondness for that one. So, yeah. um, but uh, but yeah, th- this is very good. And of course, another one where Renwick just does a mm. one scene masterpiece. Doff my cap to the master. He's just ridiculous, isn't he? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment because there's all there's all sorts of episodes that don't have well, an opening title or, or it's just one scene, but should we go straight into the episode? Yep, let's Lovely. go. On. We open up with, yeah, like I said, no opening credits. Um, I don't think that's, I think that has happened before where there's, I think, one for the Hourglass didn't have an opening soundtrack as such, just a totally different, well, it was a soundtrack, but it wasn't Eric Idle, should we say. And the trial and threatening weather are two other episodes I can think of that didn't have proper opening credits, no sound sequence. Mm. So this joins that, that 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 list of other episodes. And we've got Victor and Margaret in a waiting room. Margaret reading her a newspaper magazine. Victor looking a bit glum, would you say? Yeah, um, pensive, I'd say. Yes. 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 Um, Just looking up to the looking up to the sky. Did you see the picture that was in the background? The scream. What an odd choice <laughs> to have in a, in a solicitor's waiting room. I I mean, it's I surrounded it's... by pictures of um, you know uh, castles and you know uh, sort of you know forests and all that sort of thing, and then suddenly you've got this huge picture of the scream just sitting just above Victor's head. He might yeah. it must have been in there for a reason. I don't know. If it's Remick's choice. I mean, the scream is probably just you know a little Easter. Um, egg type thing to show I guess if you go because this is a lot it's just a solicitor's waiting room so and if you're going to the solicitors it's a bit of a, a traumatic time for anyone because you're obviously need getting some help for, for whatever um advice or support and it's mad and it can also relate to Victor being a bit like he drives people mad but I know that Patrick's <laughs> office room he's got one of the Van Gogh paintings in his bedroom so I don't know if it's just uh, yeah, we've said, say it several times, but just read into everything that you see because Renwick has thought about it. So the scream thing, the scream um, painting is obviously a uh, a metaphor for something, I'm sure. But yeah, I I didn't really notice that before. I always notice these things uh, when you rewatch them with a mm. more detailed eye, shall we say? Um, yes. I tell you what, though, and I'm just about to get to the bit where. We, when we when I first when we first attempted to talk about this on a hand press record, I was going to say that when I first watched this as a young lad, I thought even though they meant, clearly mentioned solicitors, they're a, a dentists. I didn't. I, I 
probably at that age. No, it's just being being a stupid young boy. There's there's no reason for it to have been that other than when when I when this came out. I guess I wasn't young young. I was, I was like eight, eight or nine. I'd only ever been in the waiting room of a dentist, or probably I've never probably I've never, still never been in a solicitor's waiting room or any other kind of waiting room at that point. So I just thought it was a dentist for some reason. It just reminded me of a. This is quite a generic waiting room, isn't it? But they do clearly mention it's they're going to write a will, aren't they? So that's why they're there. That would be even more macabre if it was a dentist waiting room <laughs> with the scream in the background. Good grief. But yeah, yeah. We in the comic relief special there was references to dentists and that. So, but no, I just young and didn't quite get it at the time. I tell you, you know, you know, we we're saying opening scenes to One Foot in the Grave where there's no. Um, credits also Starbound and Endgame. Uh-huh. They didn't. They had their own. It, it just went straight into the episode. I wonder why Renwick makes the, that decision. Why he decides to not include certain um, episodes to have an opening sequence. I wonder. I don't know. It, it there's, it, there's bound to be a reason for it because it's just the way his mind works. Yeah. But uh, we can only but wonder. I'm sure. Yeah, and we can obviously guess. Like it just blends quite nicely into it because it's just silence, isn't it, to start with, and. Mm-hmm. The f- opening dialogue is... 1,592. What? Leaves in that block. <laughs> there was only 1,503 when we came in. Don't talk such utter drivel. I'm telling you! It's artificial. <laughs> Victor counting how many leaves are on the, the the little plant in front of him, which of course Margaret disapproves that because <laughs> it's artificial. So Victor's just wasted all that time doing that. Um, I mean, good on him for actually having the, uh, uh, the the mental ability to just keep on counting because inevitably I'd have been looking around the room and got distracted long before I got to well at least a thousand. But uh, yeah, he's done very well as Victor. Takes yes. some discipline to do that and. He points he out his, his buttocks are turning into fossilised fuel. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a good one-liner. <laughs> and he does reference yes. at that point that its solicitors are known to, they are known to keep you waiting. And he suspects they're just trying to get like every bit of money out of you by keeping you waiting. And obviously they do charge by the minute. Obviously not when you're waiting to see them. But he is already... We already know why they're there. Like, I can't believe... I don't know what I was thinking of as a young me. What did I? What did I hear? Did I know what the word solicitor was then? You wouldn't have had to worry about that when you were when you were nah, however many not. years old. It's only something you do when you get an adult. I wouldn't worry about it. Thank you. Well, already losing the will to live. I think I don't know how long they've been waiting there at this point. Um, but this is a minute by minute account, isn't it? This is another episode where it's like timeless time and the trial and I think threatening weather. It's it's live, isn't it? There's no cuts. It's just. A minute by minute in the day in the life of the Mildreds. Yes. It's just genius stuff. It is. Margaret is very good at remaining disciplined and just being patient and doing her best to ignore Victor's just trying to <laughs> ramblings as well. Yeah. Does he stretch back in the seat and he gets his hand stuck in a tin can or something? Yeah, he, he sort of, he does an over-exaggerated sort of, you know, stretch and then puts his hand behind the chair and ends up with his thumb in a Coke, a squashed Coca-Cola can. Um, yes, which which only Victor could do, let's face it. it which, it's um, uh, it's the, the marvel. And it's a double whammy because there's there's some sticky gum on the back of the uh, can, which is ringing, which he bizarrely <laughs> moan about, does he? He's got a look of despair, but he doesn't come out with their Eddie catchphrases and he uses his own handkerchief to get rid of the uh of the sticky gum I'll be getting like the toilet roll I wouldn't use my own handkerchief not that I carry one but I just think Ugh, someone else's salivated gum on your hanky I know you can oh. wash it again but come on <laughs> yeah that, it's just yeah it's just not nice he sort of pulls at it he gets his thumb stuck in the top of the canny and the sort of pulls it makes the right sort of mess of everything trying to get rid of it and uh, Margaret's just sitting there stoically thinking, oh, crikey, I do wish he'd just leave everything alone. So, uh, this yes, this, this did remind uh, me of Mr Bean. It, 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 this episode <laughs> reminds me of a Mr Bean sketch because if this was Rowan Atkinson, he'd, he'd be doing similar things. Just try, whilst bored, he'd be trying to 
keep busy and just fiddle about with whatever you can see and, and get into little bouts of trouble. But uh, um, he goes, he crosses his legs. Uh, he always has a problem with his limbs, doesn't he? He always like, he gets cramp or whatever. And he, I think he, yes. I think he gets one of his testicles caught up or something happens. It's not quite clear. I think I know what he means because he's. Well, he, do you not think it's clear? I, I, I think it's perfectly clear? clear the way he's. Yeah, the way he's kind of manoeuvring around, and yeah. I think he says something about it's like like a bacon there. dumpling or something. Oh, and God. I mean, I the thing is, I just I think it surprised me when I watched it back that they would talk about that the privates bring that into the, you know, the, I I I just surprised that was mentioned at all, but I don't know why because Renwick, there's no sort of barriers with him, isn't it? He, he he'll talk about any kind of day to day element in our lives which might cause us a bit of physical pain but men listening to this podcast will know that sort of can happen yeah quite a funny dramatic but I'll, I'll have to take your word for that i, yeah, I can't do. uh I, I can't <laughs> profess to having any <laughs> any knowledge of anything like that but but the, the term the term he says um what do you want me to do put them in an egg box, egg box. is <laughs> is is something <laughs> men do I get mean, it, we do have a Sometimes the things need freeing up down there. That's all I can say. I don't want to get too blue oh, okay. on this show, but I'm, I, I do get it. But I think it's just the way he cries out about it is funny. Oh, hello. <laughs> oh, hello. One of my bits cut up. <laughs> Great weird hurts in the inside leg of my... Oh, oh. It's agony when that happens. It just dropped out suddenly. Now the elastic's cutting in like... <laughs> String in a, in a bacon dumpling. Do you have to? He's, also, he's, he's, he's very also, comedic in his approach, isn't he? The way yeah, he the way he moves around and the look on his face and the exasperation of Margaret, just thinking, "Oh, for goodness' sake, he's off again." <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, he is um, he's very good at just um, just letting the audience understand exactly what's happening without saying very much mm. indeed. So. Yes. Uh, yes. Well, whilst he's up, he well he, done, Victor. he walks over to observe the the, the weather thermometer. Is that what it's called? Um, barometer. Barometer. <laughs> Glad I got you on. <laughs> um, the thermometer barometer. Yeah, he gives it a tap, and of course, falls down, and anything he touches seems to this seems to happen. And it, a stern Margaret asks him just to leave it where it is. And it's it's very Margaret that is, isn't it? She doesn't. Sometimes she only has to say very little, or just give him a certain look, and he will. It sort of scares him off, doesn't it? Like he knows when to pipe up and when not to pipe up. You must get. I think that just happens in any kind of relationship. Sometimes you just need a look between two people to think, right, okay, uh, that's that's enough now. I just need to uh, to do something else. That's uh, yeah. But she does do it extremely well. Yeah, I'm definitely the one in relationship who is clumsy and will break things i don't know about you but that would happen to me <laughs> well well i'd probably uh, if if anything i'd probably be more uh margaret so i'd be sitting down trying to uh, read a magazine and probably <laughs> ignore it but uh, if i was actually close to the barometer yeah there's every chance that i'd uh, i would take it off the wall to be fair uh, yes. i have been known to be clumsy in my time <laughs> well, but he, uh, yes he goes to sit down and um he can identify little little money spider on his flies and he's sort of commentating on that isn't he just struggling to get in through the buttonhole and margaret quips you sure he's not struggling to get out um we'll be we'll be at home amongst the cobwebs which was very good a uh, little comeback from margaret what is it there's nothing down there that they wouldn't want to see <laughs> which is is kind of make it i mean heavens above well i mean i'm pleased it wasn't a big <laughs> spider so uh, that's that's at least something I'm not worried about money spiders what does she say in, in response to that when he says there's nothing they wouldn't want to see i think he just kind of looks at her in and yeah, then yeah. sort of looks down at his it looks down at his fly again and just sort of ekes it out and and there's and margaret comes up i don't know if this is a little bit later i think he's still fiddling about and she says you just can't do it can <laughs> can't stay settled for one minute. It's completely beyond you. I can settle. Don't you worry about that. I can settle any time I want to. (laughs) 
you, you can't <laughs> stay settled for one minute. And it's just beyond him. Yeah, he denies this motion and, and he therefore puts his feet up on the uh, glass table and of course collapses and everything falls off. So a bit of brilliant slapstick. Uh, so up to this point, has just about held it together with her patience and then she is up off, out of her chair and Victor's looking oh. like a schoolboy being told off. She slams her magazine down and says, for God's sake, you know, there's uh, there's magazines, there's a bowl of potpourri and an ashtray. Those were the days. Um, you know, he's just made a bit of a mess of it. He's like a wrecking ball, evidently. He is. Poor Victor. He didn't mean to do it. It was just just unfortunate. And quite like like he says, quite rightly, what sort of table is it where it's not joined on the legs? You do always seem to find those sorts of tables in waiting rooms. Any waiting room I've been to, not any, but I have seen that before where there's just a glass sheet plonked on top of two legs. But they're not expecting people to put their feet up, to be fair, so... There is that. And then he goes over to the window and has a look through the Venetian blinds. Venetian? Yeah, there will be Venetian, the Venetian blinds. Yeah, because he, he was, I think in the trial, he, he talks about having to clean the Venetian blinds, but he can't be bothered. But he does that scraping motion with his index finger to find clumps of dust. And I guess that's the first reference to this, the episode title, I suppose. He cuts his finger on it, doesn't he, on the sharp end of the blind. That's no, that's I something mean. I would do, to be fair. Yeah. I, I could very much see myself doing that. Yes, yeah. Does he? Um, I think he does. He sit. He sits down. I think at this point, and pulls his trouser leg up because he's just cut his finger. So he pulls his trou- trouser leg up. Michael Parkinson's socks, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the way he's, he's got them right up to his, just below his knee. I don't know why. I do not know why many old men do that. I reckon we're going to get to a generation of of. Um, men you know, who are sort of currently in their 40s and early 50s, when they get to an older age, I don't think that will happen any longer. I don't think men 60, 70, 80, 90 will put, wear their socks like that. I just think it's a thing of the past. Well, I mean, you used to, in the, uh, in the uh, good old days, you used to be able to get a, a set of sock suspenders that obviously made sure that your socks didn't rise downwards. But uh, mm. I'm, I'm pleased to say mm. that he hasn't, uh, you know, decided to go with those. But yes, they yeah. are quite, I mean, they're not that far from his knee, to be I fair. Know. Um, yes, um, but uh, well, they seem to be in situ enough so they don't bag around the ankle, which is probably yeah. what he's asking for. Well, the purpose of him pulling up his trouser leg is to retrieve a plaster from his knee exit onto his finger, which is just cut, which I find amazing because he's a bit of a hypochondriac. And I would have thought he'd be worried about, although it's his own germs, just trans like infecting. He's, a, he's obviously a mild scrape on his knee, and to put that on your new cut, I just thought he might read into that like he does in the trial when he thinks he's ill with everything it's a bit manky to do that isn't it but sort of creative but it's not the um it's not the ideology of the same man i think to uh to take off a plaster from your knee uh pulling it with all the hairs as well um, and then wrapping it around your finger but um maybe that's his (laughs) i mean he's only got his hanky to choose from and that's covered with chewing gum so he probably doesn't want to use that yes that's right yeah (laughs) i forgot to mention that bit but he just starts to bugger about with the the blinds again doesn't he and he's just he's twiddling that lever isn't he to allow light in and it gets it goes light and dark it starts pissing about with it which only goes to annoy margaret which which brings out a just sit down Again, like a schoolboy being told <laughs> off, which is very funny. Well, I mean, she's trying to read her magazine and then suddenly someone turns the lights out and then he yeah. flicks the um, <laughs> the blind up um, and then sort of releases it. So it makes a really so battery noise. <laughs> I remember in, um, I think it was Monday morning, we'll be fine, where Chippy Joe's just finished, he's finished the doors. He's like shaved the bottom a bit. And Victor just about... 10 times opens and shuts the door while Margaret's just trying to read a book in the living room and she snaps at him then. So he just yes. doesn't, he's not always aware of how annoying he might be being in, in the moment. But um, yeah, very funny. He, do, he does, uh, he does very well. So then he sits back down, he starts <laughs> patting the chair next to him. Oh, <laughs> filthy, isn't it? Just... <laughs> they clearly do need a cleaner in there because that's, uh, that's, just Maggie, basically. Well, the last one was v- probably VE Day, since they had a uh, good spring thing. But I can, a good clean-out, yes. I just imagine the, the props people pouring a load of flour or um, whatever into the, as in baking flour, into that, that chair, because that looked very white, didn't it, of dust. But more Indeed, reference yes. to the title, of course. 
have many guesses why they Renwick chose to call this rearranging the dust. They do talk about it in its sort of metaphor terms later, don't they? But um, it's funny how you use that as a title rather than the waiting room or something like that. It's, it's quite more mm. coming from a different angle. Oh, he's always quite cryptic in his um, uh, in his uh, requirements for episode yeah. titles. Yeah. So it's, there's probably it could just be just as simple as you know he maybe thought the waiting room was just a little bit um, you know ordinary or something. Yeah, but, um, he's, he's, he's more, he's you know, more he's, maverick he's, than that. Yes, very clever. He's just sat down. He's just patted the um, it, the yeah. chair and said, you know, uh, there's not much point in dusting when you think about it. Uh, it only settles again uh, everywhere else five minutes later, which is a good, uh, which is a good point for uh, for Dustin actually, because it, you know, that is a, a valid point. But uh, yeah. maybe save yourself the aggravation. Just don't dust. That's right. <laughs> Old bits of human skin, he says mostly. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That might have been where I learned, because that is true, isn't it? I think it's one of those things you learn in school, then it's just through in the playground of anything. That like, oh, do you know that th- dust? That's all. That's all human skin. Those. This is where he does stand up and. He goes to look out of the window and there's like bird crap on the inside and he's got this dollop of turd on his nose which is <laughs> when he gets his hanky out and of course it's got the, the the bubble gum in which is making and it sort of sticks to his nose and it's just you know if you, if you ever have anything like that on your shoe or whatever just trying to get it off is just a complete and utter nightmare so um but uh, good old margaret she comes to the rescue to try and help him out yeah, she sort of mothers him, doesn't she? She has to sometimes. And the way she was trying to get that bird crap off his nose reminded me of, I think it's dramatic fever where he's got the copper um, copper tubes around his head and she's trying to get it off or she's trying to saw it mm-hmm. off. Just the way she was with him then, it's just like it is now. It's very consistent. They've, they've always remained the same. She's sort of been snappy with him while she's just trying to sort him out. But um, yeah, that's... The, the hanky has a bit, had a bit of an unfortunate comeback on Victor there, I think. Yes, actually, we've we've just missed a little bit before he before he puts his nose on there. There's there's a honking of the horn outside, so he's actually he's looking out of the window at that particular point. So that's why oh, he yeah. actually makes it to the window because he he hears a, a car horn. Um, ah, not, well reminded. Uh, yes, thank you. I mean, I'll be honest. If anybody if anybody uh, peeps their horn at me, then I I don't turn around. No, no, yeah. sure. I'm, I'm, I'm scarred from an incident years ago, so there's, uh, there's no one <laughs> that I'd be turning around. So you have to go a bit forward and then stop if you want to catch my attention. But uh, okay. uh, yeah, good That's old, good, to know. good old Victor. You know, he's, um, he's managed to get some uh, bird poo on his nose. Bless him. Of all the, th- you know, he's just, he's, he's just, he, oh, he's bored. I'm not, not even surprised. I don't know how there's a bird nest on the inside of the window, like he says. How would that be? I don't understand. Well, Margaret says maybe something just flew in, but yeah. you'd have to be a pretty good aim, I think, to uh, to be able to do that. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's uh, very comedic and very Renwick. She does she does say that it's like taking the child out. I don't know why I put you on. <laughs> so she say Rains? Did I hear that right? Is that like a Rains? Rains. Say it. I didn't. I yes. heard it again. What is that? Um, rains is something you've got a little girl, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah, they have. It's it's like a um, a, a bib across there, and you have um, straps that go across the back that your parents held oh, got... on to. Oh, okay. Oh, that that was the, the term of them. Years almost like ago, a harness, what like a harness type. Almost like a harness, like yeah. used product. Okay, yeah. I didn't for yes. some reason I didn't ring a bell what that meant. Um, but yeah, so suddenly Victor's absolutely enraged enraged sorry um as looking out the window he just spots somebody allowing his, their dog to urinate against his car hey you <laughs> yeah, you excuse me that happens to be my bloody car when you finish allowing your dog to urinate all down the side of it interaction with this unseen member of the public and Victor as he, he lifts up the, um, the sliding window and has an exchange of 
of words. And you, I think, do you hear this unseen person say it needed a wash anyway? I think if you listen carefully. Um, yes. Rather cheeky, that's not, I mean, I, I don't think any dog owner would mean for their dog to pee against anything. Like you sometimes the dog's just got to go. If it's poo, it's just, that's different. But I think a wee, it's, I don't think it's as bad. Obviously, Victor, yeah, I guess quite rightly as, as a go at him. But then it does quickly... <laughs> It quickly escalates. Like Victor's got no time, has he, in this in this instant to let it go? He does quite well to, um, you know, to go to the uh, carrier bag, uh, get a um, a coconut meringue, and you know, really fling it at the the dog. The 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 comedy yelp that you hear uh, <laughs> is really quite funny. It's um, you know, it's it's obviously one of the, one of the ones on the uh, you know BBC sounds, uh, you know, uh, of all the all the odd that you know the um, I know what you mean. Uh, where you get, you know, the, the churchyard and all that sort the of thing, crow. baby crying. So it must be dog yelped. And they, there's always that the sound of a crow in like Jonathan Creek and other dramas. Even to this day, it's always mm. the same sounding crow in the woods at night or something. Once he's thrown the, the cake at the dog, there is a, another hilarious exchange from this time. Uh, the solicitor who is, you can tell that's Renwick. I think I've managed to verify that's David Renwick playing an unseen but heard solicitor from above. So Victor is now looking out um, above him to a solicitor providing some free advice to the, the, the owner of the dog. You don't have to say anything until you consult your solicitor. Who the hell asked you? You keep your news out of this. <laughs> this gentleman's subjecting you to unreasonable public harassment, sir. infuriating isn't it you're waiting to see they've already been waiting for how god knows how long and the solicitor has got time to have observed this um, commotion where they should be just seeing their clients but they've just got themselves involved and it is hilarious but i i do although victor shouldn't have retaliated especially against the dog the dog's just doing what it needs to do um it's still funny it is and Victor's face as he kind of looks upwards as if to say, where the bloody hell have you come from? Yeah. You don't have to say anything until you've consulted a solicitor, he says. That's right. And Victor is in the middle of these. He's like, not picking the middle, but he's sandwiched between this, the, the solicitor and this member of the public who, yeah, out of nowhere, this has just escalated pretty quickly. And in a, never in a million years would, this, would, would that happen, would it? Whether you're at, say, in this exact scenario, you're at a solicitor's, We've got a random commotion with a member of the public sort of out through the window. They're not going to have any time to, to observe that and get, stick their oar in it. They're just going to keep themselves to themselves, I'd have thought, especially for something like that. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, I wonder if Renwick actually said, you know, that that's a part that I'd like to do or whether or not it just he didn't want to pay for somebody to do it. Yeah, you because know, he, he does little cameos does. here or there, just like little spots. So, um but uh, it's always nice to to hear his voice. I like the fact that he gets so involved. I think that's um, that's a, a nice part of his writing that he doesn't yeah. he didn't just write it and think, oh, I'll just leave it now. He actually, yeah. you know, he's he's a willing and active participant. So uh, yeah, that was very good. It, yes. Yeah, absolutely. He, he does prop up now and again, and and does the same with Jonathan Creek. So it's it's good that. And I, if I was Renwick, I'd definitely want a, a little cameo in my own sitcom or drama wouldn't you so I, I don't blame him there oh too right yes after this uh margaret gives some more like evil looks i think he stopped in his tracks isn't he in, in the moment because he goes on about vandalism no one gives a damn anymore in that moment in comes a man in a suit a dicky bow tie suitcase and this is played i had to look this up by a, a sir anthony share or share he's south african descent He's a theatre stage actor he's been in plenty of tv and films he's he's obviously been knighted so I think that might be one for Matt, who's been on, who's from South Africa. So if you know much about mm-hmm. Sir Anthony Sher, get in, get in touch. Do you know much about this guy? It means a brilliant performance for, or for the two. No, I mean, um, I did the same as you. you know, I looked it up online and found that he was uh, you know, Prince Charles's favourite actor. And, you know, oh, really? I, a, did... I think he's got a, um, a KBE or something, I think. So he's obviously 
um, you know, done, done, yeah, KBE. Um, and he's had two Laurence Olivier awards and, you know, he's done all sorts of things, you know, Superman mm. two and, and he was in Mrs. Brown. So it's obviously a, a good choice for what they're trying to do, but you wonder mm. did, you know, was he already around and they just said, would you like to come along? Or did he go, did he know about one foot and then think, do you know what? I'd like a little part in that. Possibly. Yeah. I guess I we'll mean, never know. Well, this is a Mr. Prothero. Was that how he pronounced it? Prothero? Mm-hmm. So it. Um, a very Renwick name. And he plays the most brilliant silent part. Marvelously. It's just, it's not a speaking part. He's just someone who is, in the same position as Victor and Margaret, waiting to be seen. And from the moment this chap sits down, he is he's sort of grooming himself, isn't he? So he takes his, um, he finds something on his knee, like a bit of you know, cobweb, and then he can notice it's a smell, and he takes his shoe off and inspects it by sniffing it. And this whole... Like um, you do. Like you do. <laughs> as, he's, as he's smelling the shoe and he's doing what he's got to do, Victor's looking on in absolute amazement like he's if you get go into any waiting room uh doctor surgery or whatever most of the time people are just sitting still and getting up you know just reading a book checking their phone but if you've got someone like this just picking dog shit off the bottom of the shoe or spraying <laughs> the agent you are going to look on in like in amazement you, amusement aware, even are you aware that we're all hit not it's nothing wrong with what he's doing, but it's unusual for someone to be doing this amount of crap in front of you, isn't it? So it's, but this guy is just doing all sorts. So what else? He, he um he's put on he unbuttons his shirt, put on some deodorant, and it's sort of a dramatic. He sort of spreads his arms out, and um, <laughs> what else does he do? He's 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 got a suit, he's got a briefcase um, full of stuff. So he's got his like what's he get out of his briefcase? He um oh he in, he in, he's oh, got a nasal spray as well. Um, he's got a nasal spray. spray. He's got um, a shoe polish and a duster, which is uh, <laughs> which which everybody should have in their briefcase, don't you think? Along well, with well, a nail file. I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, yes. But it's it's all of two and a half minutes. He's there, not or a bit less than three minutes. But I always remember this scene feeling like it was a lot longer. Renwick's showing that he doesn't even have to write dialogue to make something funny. It's just little simple actions mm. but yeah it's brilliant not long into that the receptionist calls for mr prothero and he is up quick as a flash straight to be you know dealt with receptionist by the way played by damaris Heyman. damaris Heyman. Uh, yes oh uh, yes she her she was last in something in 2017 but she was in, inactive up she said so up to 1995 she did like her one of her last roles and then 2017 was the last thing she was in so she's hardly been in anything she must be in her early 90s now but i don't know mm. i didn't really recognize too much of what she was in i just wonder i was asking when i was watching this why i just wonder why is mr prothero sort of grooming himself and and he seems to have a bit of ocd about how he's presenting himself in a certain way and i wonder if he's he's being seen by some hot solicitor woman or I don't know. And he was seen to pretty quickly, wasn't he? Like compared to Victor Margaret. I wonder if he's paying paying a lot more money or he just appears to be a more important client. I don't know. But it's just typical. I wondered if he might be a salesman of some sort. <clears throat> Not that he's got much in his briefcase, but you know, the the fact that he was so well groomed, I suppose he could equally be there, you know, as much hmm. writing a will or doing something as he would be saying, you know, maybe I can come into partnership with you. I don't know. I, I never really gave it much thought up until then. No, but uh, just he, he obviously wants to smell nice and look nice. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I guess at this stage as well, I mean, now he's gone, what may have delayed Victor is, I think his outburst at that solicitor out the window may have not helped his call to be seen any sooner mm-hmm. what i was amazed like victor just didn't say a word throughout that little stint he was just looking on that was that was for me half of the hilarity of, of victor's face just like looking on in awe just what are you doing uh, but he dare he dare rant to margaret after being told off so he does keep himself to himself apart from the fact that he has to test the thin walls um and i don't know if that was a nod to um studio set walls being crap in comedies like I don't know faulty towers off the top of my head like you just see the walls move but just random isn't it I can't I can't think why you know I I think it was just probably a a setup for when he decides to go out because if if the walls were quite thick then you wouldn't expect to to hear anything so I think it's probably setting up the uh 
Yes. I mean, that, that's definitely a man thing to do, isn't it? I don't think you'll find women just knocking on the wall and saying, listen to that, listen how thin it is. I think, it is. It, I think you're right. A, yes. It's definitely Sorry, a man thing. Sorry all you chaps out there, but it's not, it's no. not going to be a girly thing, I'm afraid. No, yeah. I, I feel like... Wafer, I think... wafer thin, you see. <laughs> um, I noticed the Sainsbury's bag had the two uh, good food cost less slogan. I just remember that very well from the in, in the mid-90s. They had that slogan... Obviously, like forever at the time. Fish fingers would have thawed out by now. That, you would think that you would go shopping once you've been to the solicitors, wouldn't you? You would think. This makes would... me think that they're just dropping. If you drop in on anywhere, whether it's a takeaway or a dentist or a doctor's, if there is, in fact, a, a space, you're waiting a long time, aren't you? So maybe mm. clearly they feel like they've just decided to drop in, drop of a hat, literally. Go. I know they're there to to his will, which we'll find out later, but you think that would have been pre-booked. So, yeah, you're right. Why did they go to Sainsbury's? Maybe they thought they'd just be seen to on time. It's a foregone conclusion. Turn up, sign this, go home. Yeah, you're right. I don't know why they did, did it that way around. I mean, you, get, you know, there's other things that would make sense, but uh, probably not anything frozen. I don't think I'd trust anything too nah, well. You, you always know you're going to wait longer than you should do. So He retrieves... Is it a pack of M&Ms he gets from the bag at... I'm pretty addicted to M&M's at the minute. Well, um, from my uh, exhaustive research of uh, sweets and chocolate over the years, I can confirm that even though there's nothing on the bag to suggest it, it definitely sounds like a peanut M&M to me. Take your word for it, because you were right about the victim in the bath. Because I, I, I look back at my notes and I put, goes to get some pack of sweets, boiled sweets or chews, but, and you said they're probably nuts, and I, I think you're right. But yeah, it's M&M's. He the unmistakable a... clink of a peanut M&M. Unmistakable. Yeah, delicious, delicious uh, mm. snack. Oh, he yes. is partial to chocolate and the and Smarties and all the rest of it. So uh, the soft side of Victor. He gets a a light bulb out of the um, of the <laughs> shopping. Apparently this reminds him of a Mr. Dibley who lived down in Wingate Crescent. Good to, it's good that they're still referencing where they used to live and it was the talk of the whole street but margaret will not let him finish a sentence and he keeps coming back with what he wants to say does has that ever happened to you where like you you want to talk about you might have an analogy or something and whoever you have said just don't say i know what you're gonna say and you the storyteller say no you might not have heard this i just wanted to talk about it he does go on to finish it doesn't he once he goes to he think... Well, I'm, I'm pleased for the benefit of the audience that he does. But uh, her face is just saying, look, I've heard, it, I've heard it once. I don't need to hear it again. But he still persists. And, and I, I quite like that persistence. Yeah, if, you want to hear your, if you want to hear your story told, then you just have to push forward sometimes. <laughs> well, he, he, we, we get the, the, the picture, what's, what, what he's talking about when he says Thing, things people do for pleasure puts a whole new meaning to the phrase putting a, a light bulb in <laughs> and yeah i just think i don't know like it's just i think when renwick was writing this you think what's the what's the what's an analogy i can i can get renwick uh sorry to get victor to say that will be a little bit blue because it's not many of them really is there in, in one foot well he has the um uh there's the the <clears throat> issue and um uh, one of the episodes further down the line when he's talking about uh, popcorn and he's popcorn. he's there with a, a rolling pin and he's obviously drying up. So I, there, there's obviously, there's probably a little uh, kind of slight saucy side to Redwick, which is, uh, uh, which I, I find quite amusing because he can, you know, it's, it's all done in uh, t to be comedic and, and not, particularly crude but True. it's True. it does work very well so yeah yes yeah, so i think he just likes to give um uh, victor these opportunities just occasionally to uh push the boundaries a yes, little bit i think so yeah um he goes for another wander around the waiting room and he picks like a bit of nut from his tooth and for some reason the audience find it really disgusting especially one audience member in particular I remember well thinking, i think What's... they know um when he goes, because he's obviously got some uh, something in his teeth, but as he goes up, you can see that the nail files that the chap has used to get the dog mess out of his shoe is actually left on the seat. And I think the audience just preempt the fact that that's what he's going to do. So I think they're thinking, right. oh, we know what you're going to do. Yeah, it's... Uh, but it's uh, yeah. But the, the nail file <laughs> thing... I, you clearly, yes. unless there's another one in there, you clearly see Mr. Prothero putting that back in his suitcase. 
because Victor, so Victor sits down and he picks this. I think it's a nail file up, isn't it? And he cuts. Yes. Jack's a bit of his nails, isn't he? Which that this is the point where two ladies walk in. They look like twins, but they're not. I think one of them is uh, played by Valerie Minifee. Is that how you pronounce it? And mm-hmm. Laura Cox. Valerie Minifee's been in. I know from One Foot in the Grave as playing Anthea in The Office. If you remember being Maddie fans. And Laura Cox, I don't know, she's not really been in much, but they just have a non-speaking part. And in, and well, they... I found out a little bit of information, uh, thanks to the book. Um, the other lady um, was the actress who played the mum of um, uh, the, the baby in Descent into the Maelstrom. Played the... The mum. She played the mum. You know, at the end where she knocks on the door and says, thank oh, you for yes. bringing our child back. That's her, but she looks completely different because obviously she was blonde in that and she's dark in this. So they've, they've just right. reused the same actress. So that was uh, um, thanks to the, to the book. Yes. I mean, I got um, the book I and I don't back. remember that. That's really good. Yeah, that's a good little bit of knowledge. A bit of um, trivia, yeah. sorry. That's yeah, very good. But it's quite funny when Victor's finished filing his nails and he just blows the end of his finger, makes a funny little whistle sound, which brings some confusion to him. He, he, he smells the end of the filer, doesn't he, and just puts it away. If he, I think because it had dog shit on it, I suppose. But that can't be the same one, because it does... And if you write it back, Mr. Prothero puts it back in his, uh, in his, in his uh, briefcase. briefcase. Mm-hmm. Unless, it didn't, unless he didn't, and it looked like he just went down the side, but I just thought that was a bit random. <laughs> and then Victor just places the, the nail file back on the seat as if to say, well, yeah. I'll yeah. just leave that for somebody else yes. then. <laughs> I think so, yeah. In childlike fashion, Victor goes up to Margaret and whispers, I think you can just like hear him saying, go into the loo, but he's obviously too embarrassed to say it in front of the the ladies. I never thought I could hear what he's saying, but he, we obviously know where he goes to, but he, he can't feel like he has to... I mean, I suppose you would just say, whisper, I'm just going to the toilet. But he whispers yes. straight in, into her and leaves, and the preceding couple of minutes are brilliant because... Like you said, we know the walls are thin. We hear Victor urinate for quite some time, which brings some embarrassment to Margaret because she's just trying to cough it out the out of out of the way, if you like. She's trying to overdub the P sound for her coffin, which only draws more attention to it, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. You see, I, I I kind of understand that. I mean, um, you know, my um if i have to if if i'm in a cubic yeah, if there's two cubicles side by side and there's someone in the other cubicle i'll wait till they go out before i do anything because i'm you're just paranoid about anybody listening to anything um yeah. so I, I you know I, I do it's i mean it's obviously comedic just from the sound that he's making but she's trying so hard to to uh you know to, to cover it up so bless her at least she gives it a go she does she just try. looks embarrassed, doesn't she? Yes. It, do, it does God, resemble God the. It does resemble the one foot in the hourglass scene when they think they're in a cell, and it, you can hear Victor pulling the chain of the, the, the toilet in the next door in the next room. That just reminded yes. me of that. But um, it's funny how it, when he's peeing, it sort of stops for a bit and continues, and uh, she just that the the look Margaret give, gives of looking absolutely horrified when he continues to pee is just. Brilliant. Um, there's no other words for it. It just made me laugh out loud because she's just like, "How's he still going on?" <laughs> the look I think her. actually he, I think he he'd actually um, pulled the chain and was washing his hands and then went back in to have another go. Yeah. So and that uh, happens yes, to I've blokes. Got... That's a, that's a thing. <laughs> we have a part two. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure my oh, okay, my I'll... bladder's a banana shaped. Like as soon as I lie down again, it's I need to get up again. But uh, oh, okay, I'll have to take your word for that. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's quite a lot of. Inf- Bit of TMI on this podcast of late. Lots of blue language, but uh, just got to say how it is. You know? Well, we can we we can blame Renwick for that because he's yeah. he's the conversation That's starter. True. So That's yes, true. yes, and he comes, it's all his fault. It is his fault. 
he, uh, Victor comes back in and is happy to say out loud, you want to go? It's quite clean. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this, it's at this point that the receptionist comes back in and calls the two women back in. That's got to be the easiest gig ever, isn't it, for those two actresses? Probably yep. played a, I, I think probably uh, the, the lady who played the other part in the... Um, yeah, she. I think she probably did buy one, get one free, perhaps. Probably, yeah. I mean, because there wasn't much there, was there? It's just you know they they can be a part of a great sitcom and not have to say anything and uh, yeah that's that's brilliant. But they, they, I think it's unbelievable. That Victor doesn't really does he have a moan about the fact that everyone else who waits in there they only have to wait for like ten seconds, but they are still waiting. He didn't really moan about it that much, really. He's um he did, in in a tongue in cheek way sort of says he suspects the solicitors. Not actually probably at work anymore. He's just gone to play golf with various chief constables. I wonder if that's a bit of a topical thing at the time. Yeah, it may well have been, yes. It's um he said I think he said he had an appointment and was sitting in the waiting room and then found out that someone else was off playing golf somewhere. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, bless him. Poor old Victor. So he checks his pulse just to say, That's a relief, I'm still alive. Still <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why is it everyone that comes in here only has to wait for ten seconds and then they're in? But not us. The time he went to see a, a throat specialist. So when he when he sort of says when he's jokingly says, "I expect the solicitor's playing golf now with certain G constables," he says, it's "Like that time when he went to see a throat specialist, sat in the waiting room and found out he was at a cocktail party in Bury St Edmunds." And I was thinking <laughs> that'd have been in the day, right? So daytime cocktail party. I don't know, just being picky, Renwick, unless it's an all-day bender type thing that this throat specialist was on. Throat specialist. I wonder what. It's happened to Victor's throat in the past. Well, he's he's always ailing for something or another, isn't he? Yeah, true. Well, so again, much another comedic turn of um of destinations because it yeah. it wouldn't have been the same if he just said in London or whatever. But Bury St Edmunds is, is quite to the point, isn't it? Yeah, yes. it is. And this point, the receptionist comes in again. It looks like Victor and Margaret sort of momentarily think, oh, it's it's they're finally being called through, but of course. The two ladies are called back in. The receptionist walks in and Victor and Margaret think, oh, this is this is our turn type thing. And, and Victor sort of moves across as if to say about time. And then the receptionist hands Victor a letter. Oh, that's and he it. says, yeah, what's this? So he has to open the letter. It's um, a Mr. Mr. Latimer's not yet ready to see you, but um, his colleague, Mr. Mangrove, I think I've heard that right, has... Mm -hmm. Got a let it's got a letter to pass on, so Victor reads the letter. Dear Mr. Meljo, just to confirm that I have today received instructions to act on behalf of Mr. G. W. Skinner of 45 Ogden Street, who is filing a claim for damages in connection with an alleged assault carried out by yourself upon his pit bull terrier Horace this afternoon <laughs> with a Sainsbury's coconut meringue. <laughs> an assault with a coconut meringue? <laughs> wasn't even stale. Oh, I have never in all my life heard of anything so patently ludicrous. Well, I'm going straight up there. I'm not going to have this. Leave I'm going to now, Victor, for God's sake. So this letter is just highlighting it's uh, Mr. G.W. Skinner with his address. I don't know why they put... I don't think it's a different data protection rules back then, but I don't feel like put your client's address on there because you don't want them to be hunted down, do you? Regarding an alleged assault on his pit bull terrier, Horace, <laughs> with the Sainsbury's coconut <laughs> Great name for a dog. It's a great name. And Vic said, it wasn't even stale. Like, that makes a difference because it wasn't a hard piece of food. It, sh it, sh it surely is okay. It's not like it thrown a, a, a stale piece of bread. That would have definitely hurt. So Victor's still doesn't really... But what a what a quick turnaround uh, from the solicitors there, that, and that's just taking the mick. Like they've been waiting for at least up until this point twenty odd minutes, which is the length of the episode to, to this state to this moment, and yet a brand new incident has just kicked off, and already proceedings have been started against Victor. That's rubbing salt in the wound, isn't it? Poor Victor. He wants to challenge the solicitor, but Margaret sort of makes him sit down and just tries to calm him because it's just not worth it. But this is the moment we learn that they're there to make a will. And Victor, he's, he's sort of starting to think a bit, think a bit deeply now, isn't he? This, sort, this can happen mm. towards the end of some episodes. He said, you know what's worse, living forever or just death? Just say, imagine me being here forever and ever. And does Margaret quit with something? I'm sure she does. I think it's just her facial expression because he said, yeah, can you just imagine how terrible it, if that, that would be if I was just always here? And... <laughs> 
and she kind of she looks into space and her, her uh, brow sort of frowns a little bit and then she just nods and says yes and just looks into the distance <laughs> if say oh man <laughs> yeah in a way this sort of end reminds you of similar to timeless time where he, he speaks of a metaphor about how we're here one minute and gone the next while god is basically rearranging the dust when replacing you i know it's not word mm-hmm. for word but it goes back to the title of this episode and you know it's a bit more of a meaning to it isn't there and then margaret recounts 37 years ago the first time since they you know shared something and again the, the topic of sex comes up doesn't it and it's mm-hmm. quite a sweet story she she um, tells about peggy hawksworth's engagement party in glendale gardens and this is the first time margaret's smiling in this um episode at this at this moment in time as far as we're concerned she's describing a a young Victor Meldry, a young handsome man. I can still remember the first moment I walked into that room and saw this dashing, handsome young man standing over by the record player with a head of golden, wavy, thick hair. Couldn't look at anybody else all night. Spent the entire evening waiting to be introduced, just smiling across the room like an idiot. And then just after midnight, you remember, there was a power cut. We'd all had far too much to drink. And I just seized my chance. Dashed across the room, grabbed your hand, and dragged you out into the garden. And I remember it took you a hell of a time to get going. <laughs> I had your hand in my blouse for half an hour, twiddling a dead wasp. <laughs> Obviously, she means. <laughs> Her nipple, I assume, right? Yes. <laughs> just to be, be yes. just to be obvious for a second. I think she said. I think she used the phrase, "We dusted ourselves down." I thought that was interesting. The word just to, just because it's the word dust. And when the lights came back on again, I remember. I just stood and looked at you. And realised I'd grabbed hold of the wrong person. <laughs> Virtual, the one with the thick, wavy, golden hair, was just leaving with that girl who worked in the hat factory. <laughs> it was uh, quite a, quite a revelation, I thought. I think because he's a little, you know, Victor's face was just, you know, uh, so you know, we've we found ourselves sort of in this situation, and he looks quite, you know, uh, misty-eyed and whatever. And then she just said, suddenly says, "I remember, I just stood back and looked at you, and then remembered that." <laughs> I grabbed hold of the wrong person and Victor's little face. It was like, it was Dropped like you just bit, crushed him completely. Yes. But it was, it was very well written, you know, because it's, uh, it was, um, uh, you know, well, as, yeah. as it goes on, you know, you, you understand that it might not have been the best start, but she said, anyway, that got us started off together. And that was that. Yeah. I, I just, I think that's quite, yeah, that's a bit of storytelling. It's quite crazy really to think that, she made a mistake, essentially. So, but she obviously saw something well, in she him. Said it, she said, "It's hardly ever your first choice that you eventually end up with." But when Victor says, "Well, you were always my first choice," I thought that's quite nice, but probably a bit gutting to Mark. Oh, that was... she's a bit sloppy in it. <laughs> you were always my first choice. Was I? <laughs> You've never said that before. No. Well. Oh, I suppose there's lots of things you never say that you think about saying and something always crops up. Life goes on. Somehow you never quite get round to putting it into words. You know when she said you don't always have your first choice and she went, she sort of said, funny how it's not your third, fourth or even fifth choice. So I wonder how far <laughs> down the list Victor was, you know. But, um, oh, there you go. It. But, Maybe uh, you didn't have thick, golden, wavy hair in those days. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Because you do, in the final episode of Series 6, things aren't simple anymore. They've, when he's at the restaurant, he's got pictures of all of his um, schoolmates, including Richard Wilson. I think they got there's a picture of him on that table as a young lad. And I wonder if that's a, his actual photo, Richard Wilson. He didn't look like he had someone with gold, golden, wavy hair. He had dark hair, I think. But yeah, I think um, some small moments of appreciation, really, where Margaret is about to perhaps delight Victor with the more loving words, because um, obviously th- this episode has taken a slight turn in, in 
in meaningfulness, if you like. Sort of, it's just been a slapsticky uh, episode until their sort of discussion around the the old days. But as typical as Margaret is about to sort of delve into a bit of loving for him, uh, the <laughs> the um, is it the receptionist comes back in once again. No, no, it's not. No, Sorry, the, it's a the, random woman. The door isn't opens it? and it's just some random woman who comes in, sort of smiles and then sits down. But um, I mean, it, it's very sweet that she knew it was thirty-seven years ago that yeah. week. Yeah. You know, so it's. Um, I think that that was an indication that um, you know, I think there is um, a lot of a lot of love between them. Maybe they don't always show it, um, but uh, she, I think she was just on the cusp of saying something to him, but. Um, the way he said, you know, you you were always my first choice. I, um, I can that, remember the first time I saw that and my heart just melted because yeah. I thought that was just such a lovely thing to say. Because that really hit hit home to her, I think. Like, she knows that, she probably she's probably conscious that she always has a go at him. But the fact that he still has this love for her and can recall mm. that story has probably hit her quite close, close to the heart. So, well, very much. That's from the heart. And Margaret appreciates that. I don't know why. I know that that random that random lady at the end. We talk about having an easy gig as a as an extra. Those two ladies had that. This person even easy. You literally got to walk in and sit yeah. down. You'd like to think that she finished her sentence off later on in that waiting room because uh, it's just a stranger and you can whisper it, can't you? You know. But, yeah, um, I, I just. I mean, um, actually, the, uh, if it's okay, there's just a piece in the book that I'd just like to read out that was just, um, it's just a paragraph, obviously, from the, uh, from the Bible. Um, it was just talking about what um, Richard Wilson was thinking of the episode once it had obviously been aired. And it said, Richard Wilson regarded it as particularly tender when the characters showed their love. They were a contrasting pair, but clearly joined to each other. It's a very Scottish thing in a way. They weren't lovey-doveys all the time. I'm not saying it's a good thing particularly, but it's their love and trust for each other that was just there. They didn't have to go around showing it all the time. I suppose I understand that in my own sphere. When my mother died, my father was lost. He didn't know what to do. He depended on her and their partnership. He didn't live a long time after my mother died. Oh, and that's nice. When it? I read that, I just thought it's... Um, you know, it, it, it's often the case that you don't appreciate what you've got and, until yeah. it's gone. Yeah. But, um, you know, they've obviously been together for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the first embers of, you know, um, uh, of the relationship have obviously just kind of burnt, burnt out. But you I still get so. that nice feeling that when all is said and done, there, there's an incre incredible amount of love for each other. And I think that's uh, one of the strengths of this sitcom is that you can sometimes really get frustrated with people but at the end of the day there's yeah. just there's too much love for them to to not be together and i think that's lovely that's a lovely closing monologue for the and another mm. a superb episode which um yeah that's brilliant and what's i think what makes a great sitcom is when the actual actors actresses they look back fondly and they and they have their take on it there's many comedies out there where it, the, the actual sitcom it, Whatever, whatever the actor's in, it's just a job and they move on. They didn't really talk about it, but clearly Richard Wilson and Nick Crosby, Dory Mantle, you know, they all look back and they can have their take on, on the characters themselves. It happens in Fools and Horses when they talk about storylines and stuff. So it's, it's nice. It uh, might only be a comedy, but the fact there's that dramatised element to it and dark moments, it just does set itself aside from the rest in, in, a, in a good way. In that, but you probably would have read that Annette Crosby said at the time, it's the first time in 38 years, she meant since 37 years, that she felt true pressure because of the amount of precision that Renwick expects the actors and actresses to go through. I think they all felt the pressure. That's including the film crew as well. Like, Do you have any fuel left in the tank for a Mel Drew moan? Oh, I do not believe. Will you look at this? Bastards! Can you believe the well, I've, as I've said before, I've probably I was I was born moaning. There's there's many things I could think of, but just to uh, just to give it a, just a slight thing. Now, this is this is um, uh, not particularly light-hearted, but I'll I'll mention it anyway. Um, the there's 
um, emails and things going around at the moment. I've received a couple myself, actually, things like um, oh, the Inland Revenue wants to give you a, a refund oh, or <laughs> your TV licence, we haven't been able to take your money, so click in this link. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of quite savvy with these things, so I like to, you know, to think that I'll be very careful. But, yeah. you know, emails are going out to people with all of this stuff, and, and particularly now when, you know, there's lots of opportunity when people don't, you know, when there's, you know, financial hardships and things, but um, there's always people wanting to try and make money um, illegally from other people. Yeah. And it's, um, it's really one of my bugbears. And if, if I, you know, if I had the chance, I'd love to work somewhere where you track these people down and, yeah. and hold them to account. It's, um, it, it picks on, you know, um, vulnerable people or yeah. um, people who just automatically think well I've got an email so I'm, I must click into the link or whatever yeah. so uh, it's, just, it's just a wary one for for many and just um, let me in a room with them and I'd, uh, I'd yeah out. yes yeah, I wouldn't mess with you Mark I, definitely not <laughs> thank I, you Victor I'm gonna I don't really do Meldrum moans anymore I just let the guest have a like um, freestyle a moan but I, I we miss those you should do more come on I know, you well, must have something it's car garages um i know victor's known about them but if you follow my twitter you'd have seen quite a long string of tweets i, I sent to a well-known car manufacturer basically in a nutshell my car my car went into it for a service they said oh the timing chain is making a noise the timing chain belt i think they said which means you need to get that sorted and that's going to cost what at least 700 pounds for the uh, labor i said this oh. car is at barely three and a half years old and i only brought it 10 months ago 11 months ago and it's done at the moment twenty you you're telling me timing chain that can't be right i spoke to petrol ads you know other people know a fair amount and they said that's very unlikely i said well i've got a warranty i've got, I got extended warranty so you can pay for it right Oh, no, it's not covered. I said, so I kicked off a stink like you would. They've raised it as a complaint on my behalf to the main manufacturer. Nearly five weeks in, I've, they haven't even started to fix it because they're disputing whether I should be paying for it or not. Mm -hmm. So the reason why, because I said, why have you raised this with the manufacturer when it's outside of the manufacturer's warranty? They're going to say no. They said, oh, actually, there's a known issue with this particular problem with certain cars of your make. So we're just trying to establish if, if we pay for this. If they say no, then I can go to my extended, my actual extended warranty people who are not my car manufacturer. So when you buy a used car, you get like a year or two extended warranty usually. And those people won't get involved until the car manufacturer makes their mind up. So no one's going to do anything until they've made, made decisions. So that's my moan. I'm, I've obviously been using my partner's car you know, for work, and it means she's stuck at home sometimes, and it's just a mess. It's like, and also the actual person I've complained to, I mean, I've barely heard from, from from them on an email. They're a case manager, so they're responsible for resolving the issue. You can't actually get hold of them. You call, you have to call up customer services, and they'll say, "We'll pass a message on to that person for you," and they just don't contact you back. So I then put in a complaint about to her manager. He didn't call back. <laughs> so I ended up ranting to the PR team of this uh, company. Uh, I don't feel like I can name them on the podcast, but I did on Twitter because it's more of a public site and they're there to contact. So I, I feel like it's a case I get sued. So that's still that's still going on. I'm getting a hire card tomorrow though after about four or five weeks of asking for one. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. But that's my Meldrum moan. That's probably my most uh, non-tongue-in-cheek moan to date because usually I just moan about silly things. But uh, yeah, a two in one for the listener there. Two moans from uh, both Nikki and I. Lovely. That, that's that's shocking, Tom. That that really shouldn't be allowed. But <laughs> just take it as far yeah. as you need to, and don't let go. Yeah, I think yes. um, I did that thing where I I this this particular case manager, if she's at all real, is a she. I, I don't even give her first name away. But she's emailed twice in five weeks after me countlessly calling through and trying to contact her but um I've, i said i've got the family solicitor i can get in touch any moment i said i suggest you uh you know provide me with an update you know it's reasonable it's been x amount of days weeks and that doesn't seem to frighten them so i think what can you do if, 
if you can't complain to the complaints team, like if, you, if the complaints team are not handling something, who can you go that's higher than that? Because the manager won't, the manager of this case manager won't do anything. So I guess all I've got really is like ombudsman and um, I don't know, small claims because I could, I could technically say it's, you know, affecting my day job where I've got to get other higher cars or whatever. I don't know. Thank you very much for listening to One Foot in the Podcast. Thank you very much, Nikki, for joining. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email the show, onefootinthepodcast at gmail.com, or you can uh, follow me on Twitter or send a message at One Foot in the Pod, Instagram, One Foot in the Podcast. Next week, I'll be discussing Hole in the Sky with Bradley Sunderland, so looking forward to that. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Take good care, and I will speak to you next week. One foot in the Don't know what it's all about when it comes down to it. Whether you're just here one minute and gone the next like God rearranging the dust. Got no way of knowing.